Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, a Full Mind production. At Full Mind, our vision is to ensure every child has access to an exceptional education. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spierbauer. Welcome back, everybody. I am excited to talk with our special guest today and have all of our listeners enjoy the conversation for a host of reasons. Uh, you'll hear those in just a second, but to start us off, we are welcoming Marlon Stiles, the current partner at Learning Center Collaborative and former superintendent of Middletown City School District to today's podcast. Welcome, Marlon. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I have been longing for the opportunity to have some conversation with you and just talk about some exciting things going on in the field of education. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And, you know, I feel a particular excitement when I get to have uh, people that have been in and around schools for their entire career. You know, this I work in ed tech. I am myself a former teacher and school leader. Uh, and I often talk to folks that maybe weren't in schools before, but there's a kinship amongst those folks that have been in and around schools for their career. And so I'm really eager to get dive into it with you today. Yeah, looking forward to it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's Friday. Let's do it. <laughs> I know. Marlon and I, before we started recording, we're, we're both like elated to be at the end of the week right now. So you could probably tell that in the buoyancy of our voices. Marlon, why don't we start us off by you telling us, how did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself? Oh, I got to blame one person. Is it okay to blame somebody on a Friday morning? You know, I'm not going to put any rules on this podcast, so go okay. ahead. <laughs> no rules. So I'm going to blame Grandma Watson. If you're cool with me blaming my grandma uh, for the reason why I feel like I am the way I am. I grew up every Saturday at her house at the Watson kitchen table every Saturday. And I mean, on the dot, 1030 a.m., we walked in there uh, as a little child growing up. I watched that woman every single Saturday wrap, wrap her arms around the community, wrap her arms around uh, the members of the church, and she just served them. She never said much, but she was always paying attention to who was sitting at her kitchen table. She was paying attention to what they needed, what was on the wall as far as problems of practice or community needs. And she was always finding unique ways to make sure the right people were in the dialogue to really serve and meet the needs of the people across the community. I watched her do it every Saturday morning as I've gone through my educational career, serving education in different communities. I paid attention to what the needs are, but more importantly, the people and making sure that everybody has a spot at the table. And for me, that has really helped really shape the type of servant leader that I am uh, today in my current role. Grandma Watson sounds like an incredible human being. Grandma Watson, she didn't say much. She had the best fried chicken in the world. And if your game was on point and you were taking care of your responsibilities and you were always doing right by other people, she always had it to go back for you. But if you didn't do what you were supposed to, there was no go bags, right? <laughs> Grandma Watson would not give you a go bag if you didn't uh, take care of your duty. So I talk about go bags all the time. Be careful who you give a go bag to. Yeah, seriously. Well, I, you know, you mentioned something really kind of offhandedly there that she didn't talk much. Is that because she was doing so much listening? She listened a lot, right? She paid attention to uh, who she was inviting to her kitchen table and it was always intentional. It wasn't the same people all the time. It just depended on the conversation and what they were trying to do as far as serving people. But in those conversations, she always listened. She said very few, few words, uh, but she always had the right action um, as a result of the conversation. And that action always included a lot of hands, right? It takes a village to, right? Uh, but she made sure a lot of hands were involved in the action as a result of the conversations at that kitchen table. It was a beautiful thing. 
you know, we, you're speaking a little bit here about being at the kitchen table and who had a seat. One of the things that when you finished your tenure as superintendent of Middletown that I had read when I read the news about your, your moving on to the Learning Center Collaborative was that you were the first Black educator to hold that role in Middletown City School District. Talk to me a little bit about how that was was or wasn't meaningful to you in the community and how that represents some of what we're talking about here metaphorically about having a seat at the table. Yeah, I'm going to say something that's already a known fact, right? We need more Black males in the field of education. It's our obligation uh, to try to inspire more young Black males to see it as a vibrant culture, uh, a profession, uh, but also to see that they are valued and they are needed. So when I took the role, my heart started beating real fast uh, in a very good way. And my heart beats fast. That means I'm excited and I'm passionate about something. And I knew I had a chance in that position uh, to just be somebody that young kids could look up to, right? Regardless of who you were, if you're a learner, I wanted to give you something you could aspire to be. Um, and if your heart was interested in serving and teaching and educating, being a role model, I wanted to be that, that, that role model as best I possibly could and fulfill it every single time. Was it a challenge? Absolutely, right? But I put that shirt and tie on every single day. I paid attention to my dress socks just in case I walked across an elementary kid who was like, what kind of socks you wearing today? <laughs> Bust out the bacon and eggs or peanut butter and jelly uh, dress socks. But more importantly, it gave them a chance to see that as a black male in education, you can relate and you can help kids uh, change their course in life. You can help them find the beginning of the dream that they didn't see coming. And more importantly, you can be a source of inspiration for them all by just owning the fact that it's your responsibility to be that, that role model that they, they need and deserve. I think it, you're right. You start off by saying it's a fact. I think it is an absolute fact. We know the research stands behind that. And also it's very anecdotally, I mean, in my experience, anecdotally supported as well. I, I imagine that your grandma's teachings of having people at the table and doing a lot of listening came into play when you were the leader of MCSD. What In what ways did that show up either directly or indirectly in your leadership style? Yeah, um, listening is important, right? I love to talk. Everybody makes fun of me because you, you talk too much. You talk too much, but I love to talk. But I try not to say anything until after I listen. Um, and again, I picked that up from my grandma. And she really uh, brought folks into her home and they sat at that kitchen table on Saturday mornings. I got a chance to see that she was creating a space. She was a, creating a seat at the table uh, for the most important people that could contribute to the, the the type of service that she was wanting to offer. That translated into my practice. Um, I'm going to blame someone else again. And when she hears this, hopefully uh, puts a smile on her face. I'm going to blame Kim Smith. Uh, she's the director for the Center of Inclusive Innovation uh, at Digital Promise. Uh, Kim, very intentional about who she was listening to as part of her body of work. She taught me uh, to personify your problem of practice. For me, that opened my eyes up as a thought leader uh, to really understand that you got to go listen to the learners, the right learners to understand how you can shift systems and bodies of work and ideas and visions um, and different initiatives to meet the needs uh, and the aspirations of the kids. Kim taught us to really pay attention to the systems work that we we're doing, the systems thinking that we were doing similar to my grandma, being intentional about who was sitting at the table. So we would create seats at the table um, as a leadership team for the student furthest away from the opportunity. We would get to know that student's conditions, their experiences, their barriers, their access points in and outside of the school system. And that empathy type conversation, the Learner Centered, we do empathy interviews with students all the time. But those empathy conversations really allow us 
to find new sources of inspiration for the type of solutions and ideas we're seeking for kids. So similar to Grandma Watson, right? Creating a seat at the table for people to help contribute in the pursuit of finding creative and meaningful, impactful solutions. Tim Smith, Center for Inclusive Innovation, creating spaces at the table for students to come into the conversation, apply that to my superintendency and leadership practices, and now Learner Center Collaborative. All across the country, our team is conducting empathy interviews with different stakeholders, primarily students, to understand what their aspirations are. It's a beautiful piece when you can sit and listen for just a moment and walk away with a source of inspiration to help you with your thinking moving forward. End of the day, kids win. I love the naming of having kids at the table. I actually had on our podcast, Dr. Baron Davis, the former Richland 2 superintendent, just a couple of days ago. And thankfully, I get to talk to Baron all the time. He named something similar. He said it was uncommon practice to have kids in interviews. And by the way, you all can't see Marlon, but I can. He's like shaking his head and nodding his hands. And he obviously knows Dr. Baron Davis as you know, many, many people do. But he was talking about how, how uncommon it was to have students at the table for teacher interviews, like to meet prospective professionals who would be entering the school community. Uh, and that was something that he felt important. So I love that you also are echo echoing this sentiment about having the student voice present in decision-making and strategic thinking. It really resonates with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it does, right? The Learner Center Collaborative, our team talks all the time, right? Our, our desire in life and our body of work is for kids to be able to thrive and be their authentic selves and be able to contribute to their community, right? In order for that to happen, if we're going to build our framework for the future, our North Star, some may call it a strategic plan, if we're going to come up with a, a meaningful learning model that's going to meet the aspirations of kids. There is a unique thing that is critically critical to be in place before any of that body work can happen. We've got to get to know our kids. We've got to get to know our learners. Um, and for us, our practice, when we come in and partner with school districts, is we interview the students. We interview the community. We get an idea of what those aspirations are. And once you get that information, then the game is on and you start the dreaming aspect of the work and then you help it come to life. But at the center of all that, just like you said, it's the learners. Got to know them first. Absolutely. Now, let you, you've actually positioned this pivot really perfectly. So you're, you're telling us a little bit about the, the work of the Learning Center Collaborative. Why don't you paint a picture about how you wound up there and what, you, what, what the organization's mission and work is for the listeners who are unfamiliar, please. I'm a servant, right? I mean, it was tough leaving Middletown City Schools. I tell you, uh, unbelievable staff, fantastic kids, uh, a great community, love being in the district and serving for six years. But the Learner Center Collaborative was a, a pretty special place. And the opportunity to serve and impact education across the country was an opportunity that I felt was uh, a responsibility of mine. The organization itself uh, is all about learners. And the, the title of the organization speaks for itself, Learner-Centered, the framework that we really believe in and that we help inspire transformations across the country and school systems, state departments of education. It's all about putting the learners at the table. We really focus on our learners and we start out with uh, a learner profile, right? We're trying to figure out the knowledge, skills, and dispositions that need to be in place and the conditions that need to be in place to allow students to thrive and be their authentic selves and contribute to their community right? As mission-driven work. Uh, we help districts put together learner profiles. We help them put together learning models. We try to take those knowledge, skills, and dispositions and really break those down into learner progressions. And then ultimately through collaborating with uh, the community, the school community, 
and a, a variety of stakeholder groups through guiding coalitions. We walk out with a, a framework for the future, a true North Star for the district. And then more importantly, through the partnership and relationship, it's just not about getting to plan state. Our organization believes in a true, authentic, meaningful relationship with our partner districts and organizations. We're going to stick around to help you bring it to light. And that's just part of being uh, part of your school family. And it feels good when you go from what are the aspirations of the learners to seeing those conditions show up in the schools and those learners starting to thrive. So uh, the opportunity to be part of that body of work, to be part of that mission-driven work at Learner Center Collaborative. Um, I struggled leaving Middletown City School, but I am super happy at Learner Center Collaborative, more importantly, to be in a position with my colleagues to be able to serve school districts across the country. Funny, when I think about, and this is going to date me a bit, but when I think about my first eye-opening moment about learners being at the center of education, it was when someone taught me about student-run parent-teacher conferences. And I know that's like maybe one example of many that you could probably point to. And it, the first time I heard it, I was conditioned to think of parent-teacher conferences the way I grew up with them. I don't know that I got much out of them. I just recall my parents leaving, a babysitter coming, them coming home and being like, your teachers say you're very chatty and you work really hard. And that was that. But I didn't have any ownership or agency over my own education. I was, I was taught to and I had to ingest and had to regurgitate. I think that education's come a long way since I was younger to, in, in some places, to really center students. I'm thinking about the pandemic. How do you think the pandemic either accelerated or decelerated students being at the center of learning? I, I have turned the page from this conversation and education around the pandemic. Here's what I do know. I do know that workforce right now across this country, pre, during, or post-pandemic, take that off the board, but I do know that workforce right now really is thriving when candidates are walking into the workforce environment with the skill sets, right? The, the competencies that are necessary for them to be able to thrive in that workforce uh, space. With that being said, what we're starting to see across the, the country is this, this shift to becoming more learner-centered, right? Providing kids with the whole learner outcomes, uh, really setting those with workforce to dream up what, what students need to have when they walk across the stage. What you're starting to find is you're having a lot of districts talk about a learner profile, or a profile of a graduate or a graduate profile, you're starting to see those conversations really accelerate. The exciting piece is this unique opportunity to really blend K-12 and industry uh, to allow the presence of careers, uh, career clusters, to really inspire new experiences inside of our school systems to where kids get to really start to accelerate the development of their knowledge, skills, and dispositions. Uh, as they pursue the, that whole, those whole learner outcomes. Uh, so I think we're in a unique spot where if we could open the doors up of our schools to our communities, our region, um, and invite workforce to partner with us as educators, we can dream up some pretty cool experiences for kids to become effective collaborators. We can dream up some unique experiences for a young female who wants to be an engineer when she grows up to really develop herself as a true problem solver or a critical thinker. Uh, imagine if you were uh, a 10 year old kid right now sitting in, I don't know, fifth grade, and that the task of the day is to be in a, a critical thinker, right? But much different if, if nine female engineers walk in and through this distraction that we call career exploration, 
allows you to find some excitement in your heartbeat a little bit faster as you uh, entertain different ways to think critically. But you're doing that through discovery of your interests in different careers. At the end of the day, I guess what I'm saying, pandemic or not, um, I think we've got a unique opportunity in this this journey to make sure our students are armed with the, the knowledge, skills, and dispositions that they need to be successful in life. But they're also excited about, right? I know I'm strong in these areas. These really get me excited on my passion, just like you, Chatty. If you talk too much, then you probably got some skill sets, right? You probably got some, some competencies about you that you can leverage down the road in life. Uh, to discover what makes you happy, uh, to be able to serve and contribute to to the world. So I think we're in a position now where we've got some interest and an opportunity, more importantly, if we can take advantage of it, I think we'll really start to see some students find a real strong sense of belonging in our school systems, but more importantly, start to really self-discover that they can thrive in different environments um, and really find some passions about what it is they want to be and do in life when they, they become not just little kids, but the big learners. Yeah, I, I hear that. I, you know, when I was at ASU GSV just a couple of weeks ago, there was a very common theme talking about um, workforce development and the skills and dispositions. It really harkens back to my my partner's experience, who my partner's an artist. They would, did not do well in school until they discovered art. They discovered film. They discovered movies. They had a teacher who showed them, actually, you can make a job of this. And I think today there, you know, technology is so front and center that we have really unbound ability to give student real life, students real life experiences they may not have had 15, 20 years ago to explore different pathways and find a light for themselves that they otherwise might not have discovered until much later or feeling, you know, like an outsider because brick and mortar schooling as they were experiencing it here before might not have felt right for them. So I love, I love that you're naming that. And I think I love hands-on learning. I, I I've seen some schools do it very, very well. And I think it's a really, really interesting path to explore about the future of education and how to keep students motivated and excited about their, their education. Yeah. And more importantly, just look at adults, right? If, if we step back, and we create those conditions, those enabling conditions in the learning environment, and we give the students agency, just like you said before, it's a it's a simple formula, but it's a magical formula uh, to provide the, that space for kids. Think about a nine-year-old who's probably a couple couple moments away from a big birthday party and 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 wants to be a police officer when he grows up but it's really good at technology to stick with the theme. What if the police department showed up and really started talking about being a problem solver, uh, but they bring not just the police dogs, not just the police cruiser, but they talk about how they leverage drones at different crime scenes to help gather and analyze information so they can make on the spot, real time decision making. A creative way for educators and law enforcement to collaborate to create a unique experience for a student to be able to, to, to generate not just a greater interest in what they want to be when they grow up, uh, but a skill set that they might be able to leverage down the road when they get into a certain career field in the future. Fun, creative ways like that, uh, we, we can do better in education outside of just having a law enforcement agent come in and do a one day, 20 minute guest speaker in a third grade classroom and then and then leave. I think we can deepen the experience so kids can can start to self-discover and, and find some agency and, and and really be in what they want to be when they grow up. I love that. I was I had an episode recently with um, Luis Torres from PS55 in the South Bronx and Lida Cas Leader Casper, 
who is a community schools, familial relations personnel in uh, Minnesota, Rochester, Minnesota. And we talk specifically about ways to engage the community, bring them in. Community schools have a front row seat in that. That's their goal to keep the community and the school themselves very interlocked and have, you know, many, many experiences that spread the depth. I mean, you see quite a bit of schools right now. Are there any that stand out to you now as you're thinking about it that have done this model really well? And what what sets them up for the success in terms of establishing the favor of all the decision makers to run this sort of direction? Yeah, um, I'm gonna shout out one of our learner-centered partners right now, Santa Ana USD out in California. Uh, Superintendent Jerry out there is doing some unbelievable work. Uh, Deputy Superintendent Lorraine, I mean, crushing it right now as a, as a leadership team. What you're finding, and the Learner Center, we practice this also, but we, we're finding that as guiding coalitions are not just created, um, not engaged, but they genuinely are empowered uh, to really move the district forward. I think you're seeing a pretty unique moment happen. In Santa Ana, you're finding a number of guiding coalitions helping think about um, how to refresh uh, a graduate profile. You're seeing guiding coalitions talking about, um, as Superintendent Jerry says, how can we create life-changing experiences and opportunities for our students for generations to come, right? As a leadership team, hard to meet that standard and deliver that for the learners. But as you engage folks across your school community, as you rally folks behind the cause, you deliver clarity and what it is collectively we're trying to do for learners, and we actually empower a guiding coalition members uh, to unify behind the cause, but to deepen the dialogue, explore the space between the problem and the solution, and come up with creative ways uh, to meet the outcomes that we're pursuing. I think you're seeing some magic happen. Uh, Superintendent Jerry at, at SAUSD, I've got a number of guiding coalitions. If you're looking for a school district, a learner-centered partner who's doing this work at a very high level, that would be one that I would spotlight. I would also toss in Logan County in Kentucky um, as another school district to keep an eye on. There's a number of school districts that are pursuing learner-centered approaches in Pennsylvania. I'll shout out Superintendent Mike, my man, up in uh, Hampton in Pennsylvania. Definitely someone to check out. Uh, but Haley, if you don't mind, I'll also share also uh, Juab uh, School District out in Utah. You can check out the Indiana Department of Education is doing some work around workforce skill sets. So you're starting to see this learner-centered movement really starting to build some excitement. I know we're excited to be part of the journey, uh, but you're seeing school communities really start to transform themselves by really engaging and empowering their guiding coalition members across the community to really push the district forward in those frameworks for a future. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, those are some of the, the spotlights how they're relied on. They definitely deserve it. I always love following great school districts that are thinking forward and they're really trying to continue to advance themselves. I always say, if you're an educator who doesn't think there's growth before you, you probably shouldn't be an educator. And so when I see school districts wholly embracing trying new things and attempting to move their communities forward. It always gets me really excited. Um, I think it's been a, a challenging couple of years. And so thinking about how we can really put students at the center of our work and also help them find their own path. I, I always say the biggest thing I care about is that students have choice and agency and education allows for that. So I, I thank you for sharing some of those incredible school leaders and school districts and communities 
that you've gotten to see up close and personal. You know, uh, my last question for all my guests, and I cannot believe we're kind of getting close to the end of this conversation. Ask question already on the I know. It, you know, these episodes, sometimes they're, they're, they feel like we're just having coffee at a coffee shop and really enjoying each other. And that's exactly how this episode has felt. Although I feel like I've also learned a ton and I have some school districts that I have to look at very soon after this call. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking about this idea of centering students and also workforce development. What advice, Marwin, would you give an educator who's starting their career today? Ooh, are you going to set us up for that question? Um, I know it's a big one. I always save extra time for it because I know people have lots of thoughts. It's not like a a, a short answer. Yeah. uh, So here's what I'm going to say to answer that question. Goosebump, joyful moments in this profession right? You get to have those every single day. I will say that what you appreciate will appreciate. If you appreciate the joy that you have as an educator, right? And the daily opportunities that you get to help a young learner discover the beginning of a dream that they've never saw coming, that's a goosebump joyful moment. And if you appreciate those moments, you appreciate uh, the ability to be able to do that for a learner. This is a joyful profession. Uh, And if you appreciate the joy in those moments, then your joy as an educator will significantly appreciate as well. And nothing feels better than, than being joyful in what you get to do every single day. It's a great time to be in education. It's a great time to serve learners. Um, And I would just encourage anyone who's walking in there for the very first time uh, to focus on those goosebump joyful moments every single day. Uh, don't take them for granted. Uh, don't expect those to happen, right? You have to really grind your way to get those special moments. Uh, but when they happen, just take a second and enjoy those moments themselves and take them in and cherish those moments as, as much as you possibly can. Whether you're one bell or one school day into the profession or you're one bell or one day away from retiring in the profession, Uh, Just make sure you appreciate the joy that you get to experience every single day and your joy will appreciate itself. I, there is something about that word joy in education that feels so core. I love it. Ah, I agree with you. This is such good advice. And I hope that the educators that are starting their career that are listening here today are able to have that carry them forward. Hopefully they're getting ready to wind up the school year, if not have wound up the school year and are going to take some much deserved time to reflect and get ready for the new school year by the time this episode airs. Marlon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It has been an absolute joy listening to your joy just to keep that theme going. I appreciate you having us. Always a joy to talk to different uh, educators out in the field. Congratulations on a great year. I've been inspired by Richard Collada to say this as much as I possibly can. He issued the challenge. Just want to thank all the educators out there for their service. Uh, Know that we appreciate you. We value you. You're seen and heard. And enjoy the time off this summer. You absolutely deserve it. May your summers be joyful. And can't wait to see everyone back here in the fall when school picks back up. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you all for joining. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, 
email us at podcast at fullmindlearning.com.